three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to a postseason recap of the Texas Private School podcast. Um, I would say as always, but it's not really as always considering we have a much different lineup. For the first time ever, I am one-fifth of your hosting crew, West Hollison, coming to you from Dallas, Texas. Walker Lott joins me from College Station, Texas. Walker, I, I would normally hand it to you here to do some discussion, but I'm going to. They see you every week. You've got three new faces with us. We have Waverly West. Joining us from Bryan, Texas, Caleb Corum from Fort Worth, and Cole Burke joining us from Abilene. Guys, starting with Waverly, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on. Second of all, give uh, give some background as to who you are and um, what you're interested in in terms of how you've been helping us this year. Um, so, hi. Like Wes said, I'm Waverly West. I go to Brazos Christian School here in Bryan. Um, I wrote lots of articles for TXPS Media this year, and the definitely my favorite part of the season was going to cover the state championships with them. I did some interviews there, and it's been a blast interning with them. Absolutely. Mr. Caleb? Yeah, so I'm Caleb Corm, a senior at Southwest Christian School. Uh, I play football at SCS. Um, I'm planning on going and studying sports media at Oklahoma State University, where I will emphasis in broadcasting. So, and I will do journalism there too, as well as hoping to be a sports uh, kind of journalist or reporter one day or broadcaster. And uh, I've written a few articles for TXPS Media, taking some few videos at state. So, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Absolutely. Now to the best mullet in sports media, Colbert. Uh, I'm Cole Burke. I'm a freshman at Hardin Sims University. I play center here. Uh, I've always been interested in sports media, especially the broadcasting side of it. That's what I plan to do when I'm older. I'm currently a communications major, which is the best program Hardin Simmons has to set me up for a lifetime in sports media, whether that's broadcasting, journalism, whatnot. Uh, I've written a few game recaps for TXPS Media, done some live tweeting, and then and got behind the camera at the state games, which was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, I do want to take a second and say all of these guys are absolute rock stars. Our content wouldn't be half of what it's been this year uh, without yep. them. You've seen them. You've seen all of them behind the scenes this year, whether it's writing articles, live tweeting for us, these videos will come out from the state game. Um, all of these guys have a very bright future in sports journalism, and we were very much blessed this season to have their help. So as we've said multiple times, thank all of you. It's been fantastic. Walker Lott, finally turned to you um, up, after man? a fantastic, a fantastic weekend at State. Um, yeah. How have you been and any any quick takeaways from what you saw at State, although we'll get more into detail on that. Yeah, no, uh, State was fun, man. And, you know, I, I just stayed busy. You know, finals are here and, you know, that we go straight into that. You know, no, uh, no kind of week off from State. You go straight back into actually being a student. But, yeah, State was actually really fun this year. Uh, you know, we had three other people helping us out, which made it even more fun. But the games themselves, there was a lot more kind of a parody, not parody, but like they're all actually good games and not some just blowouts like usually. So uh, it was a fun weekend. Absolutely. It was a great time. And uh, I will now take, you know, at least a half second to gloat a little bit. So we got to go over the pick record. Um, I would flash the pick record trophy that I guess I would be presenting to myself since I won it last year, but, but, but you know, where it, is it, where is it? Um, it's, it's been unhomed. Um, mm. it, it's been misplaced. 
Nah. I'm not declaring it lost. I just don't have tabs on it at the moment. That's not important. There will be a new trophy. Long story short, last week, Walker went 3-1. and one. I swept State for the second year in a row, going 4-0. and oh. The final records are Walker went 193-59. and 59. I went 196-56. and 78% on the year. Um, I don't know how I got here. Pick record one, 7% increase from last year. Walker, I think more than anything, as much as I would like to take the next five minutes and, and gloat about my pick record, I think both of us had great years and honestly, probably yep. two of the best years that we've had since we started. Uh, do we know ball? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I will congratulate you on the trophy, Hawkes Minitas, as, as we should know. Um, you know, very, very proud. Uh, of you sir and um yeah you know i'm going to kind of put blame on caleb corm for a bit because two of those losses were ses's fault so i'm going to blame our intern basically for my losses that's how i'm going to kind of say it uh but actually really quickly caleb you know after uh, after y'all lost to legacy and um and cost walker that pick you know he told me to go up to you and uh, he told me not even to acknowledge you after the game that's just not he was so mad that you lost in the pick he said don't even don't even look caleb's direction lies uh this is fake (laughs) news uh from my uh co-founder of txps media very i would never do that to you caleb um but uh in generally in general very good season by the both of us very very good uh records and yeah, definitely can say we both know ball. I agree. What I was thinking um, the other day, I just want to workshop this here. I think next year, whatever whatever interns that we have next year, we take at least a few of them and we have like a five, we make it like a five person pick yeah. record for some more competition. I think that'd be really fun. So yep. we, if we retain any of you from this season to the next season, I would, I would really, really enjoy having like a big pick record every week and having more people participate in that. I think that would be fun. But no that doubt. being said, that concludes the pick record. Uh, there will be a trophy next year that, that will be in. Uh, we'll figure that out later, but now we are going to move straight into let, let's go to the state championship recap first. And we'll go back and look at our preseason rankings and discuss yep all of that so first of all we will start with the first game of the slate Parrish versus st thomas Parrish gets a 40 to 29 win and that is their it's their fifth yes yeah, their fifth straight state championship back to back to back to back to back honestly just a masterful performance between daniel novikov coaching sawyer anderson at quarterback maddox reed the list goes on and on yeah. Kyle Hamburger also took away our defensive our defensive MVP of the state game with a crucial pick in the third quarter. Yep. Walker, uh, we said before the season, if there was any year for the South to get it done, it was this year. And Parrish, it just says we're still here. Your thoughts on the Panthers walking away with the state title? Yeah, man, uh, this was the most, this was, since we've started covering the game, probably, I guess, since that Nolan Parrish game back in, what, 2019, 2018? 2020. Oh, yeah, 2020. Wow. Um, Yeah, that was probably the most competitive game we've had. And there was times that you could have honestly said Houston State Thomas was going to pull out the win. That like They took the lead in multiple times in that game, but they just couldn't get it done. And at the end of the day, it came down to turnovers. And, you know, I love my guy, Dante Lewis, but that one interception and the fumble – um, no, on the overhead snap in the third, late third quarter, kind of cost them the game. Um, and, you know, in a game like the state championship, when you're playing a team like Parrish, you just can't turn the ball over. You got to be perfect on every aspect of the game. And they just kind of weren't. But, and it didn't help that you could tell 
uh, Johan Cardenas was hurt. You know, he only had 17 carries, uh, 60 yards still, but only 17 carries. That's not enough in that game. Maddox Reed on the other side, 34 carries, 193 yards, and four touchdowns. What a game from him. Uh, very, very impressive on the day. And, you know, it, it was kind of just like the turnovers kind of cost them St. Thomas is the win. Um, but you got to be proud of that St. Thomas team. You know, the fact that they had to make the state championship since 2001, never in the South, you know, they always have this, like, uh, like you said, the South can never do it. And they finally got to the state championship actually competed and had a chance to win it. You have to give credit to the St. Thomas team. They made H town proud in this one, uh, Dante Lewis, Johan, Larry Benton, Luke Edgecombe, those guys, that senior class leaves a um, a legacy of t- telling Houston St. Thomas like, hey, we can do it. Like we can get here and we can win these type of games. And that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the team. Shout out to Rich McGuire for finally getting them there. Um, you know, I will talk about Paris in a second. I just have to give my flowers to those guys because, uh, you know, doing this for so long now, you've been able to see like kind of teams grow up. And when we started our first or second year, we gave Johan Cardenas underclassman of the year. And now he's going to Vandy, which is kind of crazy. But this team, this senior class was something special. Tyler Day had, what, 16 tackles on the day. Um, Just had a very impressive performance. Luke Edgecombe, how many yards did he have receiving? You know, 140 receiving. What a day from him. But, or no, wait, uh, Luke Edgecombe had 117. Larry had 140. So great performances by both those senior receivers. And, you know, uh, St. Thomas leaves a legacy of very a great season on the other side. I mean, you know, Novikov does what Novikov does and the rest of those dudes followed suit and giving, I want to give credit to that parish defensive line, that parish defensive line all season, you know, Dante could usually break out, you know, explore, get out of the pocket, do what he usually does. But this game, he, they, he got a sacked a couple times, and you don't really see that often. You got to give credit to Caleb Mitchell Irving, uh, Sattler in the middle. Those guys really disrupted their game plan. And, uh, you know, Maddox Reed, Darby, Bryson Fields, those receiving cores with, you know, junior Purdue commit, uh, Sawyer Anderson, was a great game for them. And, you know, they walk out of their five straight state champions. Absolutely. Just uh, like I said, the word dynasty is almost an understatement at this point. Very rarely do you see five straight state titles. Absolute masterclass from Parrish. Cole Burke, you were also joining us on the sideline for this game. You had a couple very insightful comments that I like. I'll bring up one. You said you were really impressed by Maddox Reed and Johan. Two types of guys that scored, but immediately when they score, they just hand the ball to the official. It's I think that's a testament to two guys that have been in the end zone a lot. They act like they've been there before. What were your thoughts on just two elite running backs going head to head in that game? I mean, it was it was a lot of fun to watch, especially behind great offensive line performances from both sides. Especially a guy I think is incredibly underrated from Parrish is center Nate Weber. Yeah. That dude had someone on the ground every other play. He was the leader of the offensive line. He was making calls, correcting guys when they were wrong. And I was talking to him after the game. He said that's probably it for his football career, but there's always a spot for him here at Hardin-Simmons if he wants to change his mind. Um, but, yeah, the offensive line performances were great. And then, obviously, once they get past the the box, they make so many plays at the second level. Maddox Reed especially, I hadn't seen him in person even though I lived in Dallas for 18 years, it was my first time seeing him. Hadn't watched his film at all. I'd done a lot of research on Johan going into it because, you know, he's Mizzou was in his top two, and I had to see what we were going to get if he committed there. 
But um, Maddox Reed just – he's a dude, man. And like you said, they're both such humble guys. They're just there to handle business. They get in the end zone. They give the ball back. They're on the sideline ready to go and do it again the next drive, which was awesome to see two guys of that caliber playing with that humility and that drive to just – you know, they're, they're there for the team. They're there to do what's best for the team. Absolutely. Yeah, you really do like seeing that. At the end of the day, Parrish does get the win here. Five straight state championships behind. And just an incredible season at the end of the day from Maddox Reed. Um, every I watched Parrish, I think, three times this season. And Maddox sh- just shined in all of those games. Very impressive. Very well-rounded team effort. Congratulations to Parrish on a fifth consecutive Division One state title. Now we will move into a game that we were all able to cover, so we'll have some great group input from everyone. That is Liberty Christian versus Austin Regents. And, you know, I had I had a bunch of Liberty players go back a week before that game. Right after they won, I had a bunch of Liberty players come up and ask me, is Quinn playing? And I was like, I don't know. We know a lot, but I don't quite have that information yet. And we figured out about 15 minutes before the game started, whenever Quinn walked out in a boot, that Quinn would not be playing that game. We're like, hmm. Because Liberty was obviously a pretty stark favorite going into that game for obvious reasons. But in no slight to Jack Devine at all, but Quinn Murphy is a power five target. The Michigan offered man. I mean, he's he's very talented. Not playing in that game is going to significantly affect the game plan. And it did as Liberty gets the win 52 to 10 here. Walker, very briefly, so we can give it to the yep. interns. Um, great, dominant performance from Liberty as they really did the entire season, finishing the season fourteen to uh, fourteen and zero. Your thoughts on the Warriors winning a D two state title? I mean, this team, top to bottom, is mo- one of the most talented teams we've ever seen in private school. You know, when we were in the elevator, West, one of the things I'll definitely mention is we were walk walk the some of the coaches over at Regents were walking out of the uh, elevator and said, that's the most talented team. That's more talented than uh, the uh, Cedar Hill, Trinity Christian days, those teams that they always met in the state championship. And that's a testament. And they, they said it was like, it was equal, almost equal in talent, but the coaching by that Liberty squad was phenomenal. It was light years ahead of those teams from back in the day. And that's a credit to that coaches after Jason Wooden's put together. You know what I mean? So those guys, plus the combination of all the talented players they have, re- put uh, the recipe for success. And they went fortunate to know and won the big one this year. Shout out to them. Yeah, so surely that wasn't a shot at Dion, was it? Uh, no, not at all. Um, uh, I think 14 and 0 first state championship since Oh nine Oh seven. So it's been a while for them, man. Congratulations. Absolutely. You know, we've got, we've got an article on the site, uh, detailing what it was like to play against those Cedar Hill teams. Maybe we can get somebody that Kayla, maybe you can write an article on what it was like to play against, uh, the Liberty <laughs> teams. I like to see the perspective there, but Caleb, we'll actually go straight to you. You got to watch Liberty versus Regents as well as all of us. Uh, what really stuck out to you and just how dominant Liberty was in this game? Uh, what stood out to me most was the Liberty offense. I mean, they're not one-dimensional at all. Running behind Keith and Smith and Nate Humphrey is a great opportunity for Chase Garnett. And Chase Garnett's an absolute stud at running back. But that, if you stop the run game, they're just going to throw it over top with Cole Welliver as he can throw it to Quentin Brown, Jalen Hawkins, and Brady Janusek, who are all stud star receivers. And so they just were incredible. And their defense, their defense has slept on. Their offense has all like the crazy little like showboaty, like talented out athletes out there. But their defense is very strong. Their defensive line plays hard and physical. Their linebackers come in and crash down, led by C.J. Witten. And then the young safety or athlete, C- Cooper Witten, 
is insane too. So he's going to be someone to watch out for the future. Absolutely. No, it's, I, I like that you bring up the defense because the offense has gotten shine all year and it's hard not to with athletes like Stump, Janusek, Cole Welliver, Chase Garnett. Again, I, I've, I could go on and on and on about the talent. The defense is, I think, what sets this team apart with guys like CJ and Cooper Witten, Jet Hare is a guy I like a lot, the sophomore at linebacker. He's going to be a force for years to come. You got Maddox Sakiri and uh, who could forget Max Saul on the defensive line. Just fantastic talent. Also, a facet of this team that I think was really their heart the entire year. The receiving core gets a ton of love, for me especially. But the run game was elite, running behind Humphreys and Smith, Garnett going crazy all year. Waverly, you got the opportunity to interview not only Chase Garnett, but also Nate Humphreys and Keith and Smith. Your, what were your thoughts and your takeaways from the run game and what you got to hear from the guys that made it happen post-game? Yeah, it was great talking to all those guys after the game. Um, Chase Garnett had three touchdowns, and I think their quarterback also threw three touchdowns, which just shows kind of like Caleb said that there's not just one aspect of their offense that really sticks out. Their offensive production is spread between receiving, rushing, passing, like all of that. They're just incredible. It was great to talk to those guys, and they seemed like their offensive line unit was just so dominant and could get it done against anybody they played this year. Absolutely, and they really did. I think I set – Probably what will stand as a record for the amount of times I covered a single team in a single season. I think I saw Liberty like five times, and they managed to get better every single week. There wasn't – it was the consistency that set them apart because you will have great teams that usually they'll slip up at least one week and they'll get caught by someone they're not supposed to lose to. Liberty, wire to wire, ran the table. It was honestly very, very dominant to watch. Cole Burke, you were on hand as well. We kind of hit on a ton of what made Liberty dominant. Anything that you took away from this game, you're like, wow, that was impressive. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe I've heard the name Cole Wellover mentioned yet. Quarterback for Liberty. He was phenomenal. Nothing, Obviously, nothing against UConn. It's FBS football. I don't understand how he's not going somewhere bigger. He has the height. He has the weight. He has the arm length. He throws one of the most beautiful balls that I've ever seen. He was making plays left and right, whether it was on the feet, on his feet sometimes scrambling or, you know, throwing the ball to Janusek in the back corner or even working around his slot receivers or throwing it to Chase Garnett out of the backfield. That dude was making plays left and right. And then, as you mentioned, Max Saul at defensive end, big number 99. He is a stud. If I'm not mistaken, Walker, I believe he was your player of the game in the semifinals. And yeah, that, yeah, that was uh, all West, but yeah, what a player in that semifinal game. Yeah, he was he was impressive to watch. I enjoyed watching Max all get after it. Yeah, absolutely, and I've told this story before. I don't know if it's on the podcast, but Walker and I went by Liberty Christian in the spring, and our eyes were drawn to Keith and Smith and Nate Humphreys because they're gigantic. And, you know, Saul is imposing physically, but not to the point those offensive linemen are. We were watching one-on-ones, or as an Oklahoma drill, and we watched, and Saul got up against against one of them. I won't name who, but he absolutely eviscerated the offensive lineman he was up against. Went and just mauled the running back. And I was like, Max Saul is probably going to be a guy to watch moving forward. And he was, man. He was elite. Yeah, I'll, I'll say in terms of Regents, you know, we haven't talked about them a lot. A fantastic season by them. You can't, you can't. Their season is not at all defined by this state game. No. Um, almost literally anyone in the state would meet that same fate, if not worse, to Liberty. Guys like yep. Jacob Wilburn, um, Chili Sayer, um, Hudson. all of them. 
yeah, Hudson, Hudson Powell, just fantastic seasons from all of them, a ton of collegiate talent on that team, and especially Jack Devine stepping up in a very difficult situation, you know, in a state title game, your first start against far and away the best team in the state, maybe the best team that we have seen in D2 ever. Um, hats off to them. Didn't moment didn't look too big for him, even faced against kind of insurmountable odds. Just hats off to Regents. Fantastic season. Yeah, you know, Regents, um, you know, that senior class was also a team that won a state championship their freshman year, if you remember, like that. And it's kind of full circle since, you know, uh, that one guy got picked off for D.C. and brought it all the way back, you know. Uh, that was a game where Cole definitely remembers that, too. But, um, you know, on the flip side, this team knows how to go to a state championship, and they got there, you know, this final senior year, and they just ran into the – there's a team like Liberty that you, it's hard – it's honestly kind of impossible to beat. But – the the senior class is phenomenal and you know a lot of those guys are homegrown been there for you know four or five years now and you know it's just a very very impressive and i like jack divine i think he's gonna be a great player going forward um you know he flashed some glimpses of like being a glim glimpses glimpses there thank go. you thank you uh flash some glimpses of being like an actually really good athlete he's a really good athlete as well um that sophomore class and you know they lose a tough, tough senior class with a lot of, you know, talented players. But that sophomore class, Andrew Novi, Blake Smith, uh, Quinn Murphy, uh, Cade Millington. There's a couple guys, man, that are young and are going to be really, really good. And we're going to probably see this team back here next year. Uh, I'm excited to watch them play. But on the other side, I'll, I'll mention one last thing about Liberty is, um, you know, Wes, we always talk about like how All Saints last in the past two years when they bring all these guys in. Um, sometimes they don't gel as fast. You know what I mean? Where it takes a couple times, maybe gets in the district and they finally like put it together. That's what they did last year. You know what I mean? You have to give credit for Liberty, even though they brought all these guys in Cole Welliver comes in, you know, uh, in the, whatever the spring semester of last year and comes in. And the fact that they came together, all these dudes and they gelled perfectly, like at, from the start to the finish, those guys, knew what they wanted to do. And offensively, they were so dominant defensively as well. Like you have to give credit for this team coming all together. And it was just a very, very, very impressive performance. And I want to shout out one last guy that a lot of guys, you know, they give him a lot of love is uh number the center for Liberty, Antonio Simone, uh, first team all state and is a guy that I believe was there before the Witten era. I kind of grew up in the ranks of Liberty and um, you could tell like he was one of their leaders of being like, hey, this is being before Witten and like, you know, they were in some rough years at, Li uh, at Liberty and being able to see where they are now. He's a guy that kind of bought into that program that's been there for a while and you want to give a shout out to him. So, uh, yeah, what a what a season for Liberty. Absolutely. First state title since 2007, I believe. Fantastic storybook season, 14-0 undefeated. Shout out to Liberty Christian, the TAPS D2 state champions we'll now move on to the second day the noon game was the taps division three state championship dallas christian versus holy cross where holy cross puts up a great fight as we expected but dc comes away with the win 28 to 13 uh cole burke i feel like i'd be doing an injustice to turn to anyone except you first dc gets their third straight state title you are part of the last two what did you really see in this game because holy cross came out and really played a dc style smash mouth football but dc ultimately holds them off gets the win what stuck out to you first off i got to give my props to holy cross 
they played an amazing game, physically dominant in the second and third quarter. Up front, outside, they were dominating for half the game. So props to Holy Cross, man. They played an amazing game, representing the 210, uh, which was a huge theme for their fans and their players watching pregame warm-up, was representing their city. And on the Dallas Christian side, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not about the X's and O's, about the, it's about the Jimmys and Joes. And Dallas Christian has quite a few of those. Got to give props to my guy, Porter Nix, playing an amazing game, both sides of the ball. Uh, he had me stressing a little bit there in the fourth quarter. Um, I was I was a little scared we were going to lose the streak. Uh, he, he pulled the team together. He's a great leader, even better young kid. Or man, I'd, I'd say he's a man, not a kid anymore. And he played <laughs> yeah. an amazing game. And then obviously, Dimaggio Lampkins, DJ Lampkins, who's an underrated prospect on that team. Trying to get my best to get him to come to Harden Simmons here, but he is a leader, played a great game at middle linebacker, and I'm really excited to see what his future holds. Absolutely. Cole, is the is the X's and O's, Jimmy and Joe's quote, is that a Mike Wheelerism? Uh, it's actually, it's a James Burke quote. Mm. My father. He's a big X's and O's or Jimmy's and Joe's kind of guy. So I got that from my dad. I remember one of our old Grace coaches said that back in the day. And I would like to trace that back and see where it stemmed from. But it's an all-time quote. It's a it's an all-time euphemism. Oh, yeah. But so we had both Waverly and Caleb were at this game as well. Waverly, uh, D.C., third straight state title, a great fight from Holy Cross. A lot of storylines in this game. What stuck out to you specifically? Uh, yeah, I wanted to start out by talking about uh, um, Holy Cross's quarterback, uh, Gibby Alvarado. Um, there was a point in the game where he, I don't really know the extent of his injury, but he kind of went down for a couple of plays and you could just really tell um, the whole crowd rallied around him and it, he ended up going back in, if I'm not mistaken. So really just shows um, his perseverance and how that team really fought to the end against obviously an incredible Dallas Christian team. Um, yeah, Dallas Christian dominant. It was a closer game than I think anybody really expected, but Dallas Christian got it done and that's three in a row. Absolutely. Yeah, it's speaking more to crowd rallying and just the crowd in general from Holy Cross. It was a fantastic scene there. I love seeing them show out in mass to support their guys. That that means a lot to me. I, I love seeing that type of support in the game. It makes everything a lot more enjoyable, a lot more fun when you can really rally a town or not a San Antonio is much more of a city than a town behind a team. Also, um, I kind of Thought this was a given, but I realized that Walker and I are old and some people might not understand the reference. For for the last couple of seasons, whenever we're talking about um, Gibby Alvarado from Holy Cross, uh, we, you know, we do Gibby. That, um, so that comes from that comes from iCarly. There was a character called Gibby on iCarly. I realized talking to Caleb, um, trying to explain the reference, Caleb's like, I don't know what that means. I was like, oh, that might be a dated reference now. Long story short, um, Gibby's from iCarly. Haven't seen it. Go watch it. Caleb, first of all, thank you for making me feel old about five times throughout the course of the state weekend. But yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so Perfect. again, just in, in, in name only. But Caleb, uh, Holy Cross falls to D.C. Great fight from both squads. But ultimately, D.C. comes away with the win. Your thoughts on what you witnessed at the state game? Yeah, with Holy Cross, man, they're from the pregame warmups, their fans were there. They were ready to go. They were cheering. They had some elementary football kids out there talking to us before the game, you know, screaming, let's go Holy Cross. And 
getting excited. And then one guy who stood out for me, he plays linebacker, number seven, Jeremiah Vallejo. That guy is an absolute mauler around that football field, man. He is physical, he's fast, and he's going to hit somebody hard as hard as he can. And then with DC, with, their winning, with them winning their third straight state championship, Luke Carney throwing for two touchdowns, Jaden Davis rushing for another two, and, of course, Speedy Nettles catching the ball and being a standout lockdown corner. So Dallas Christian putting up almost another dynasty run. Absolutely. Yeah. DC, one of the one of the top programs traditionally in the state by wins, state titles, wins by a head coach. Just really fantastic. Walker, uh, Will Stop. Nettles comes away with our defensive player of the game. Yeah. For basically walking down an entire side of the field. Also had 172 yards receiving and a touchdown on offense, as well as Luke Carney throwing for 280, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, a 78% completion rate. Really no mistakes by those two guys, as well as Jaden Davis, who had 122 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. Holy Cross you know, made this close by running the ball extremely efficiently and trying to keep DC's offense on the, off the field. DC won this game by not making any mistakes on offense. Your thoughts on the Chargers coming away with three straight. Yeah, it was, you know, this is a game where, you know, uh, Dallas Christian got hit in the mouth and, you know, how do they respond? Um, that you, like you kind of said it from the beginning, right? Like, um, you know, they kind of play their style of football against them, which is kind of what you need to do to have a chance to play and beat D.C. And, you know, they got hit in the mouth. But, you know, one good thing about, you know, Mike Wheeler and that D.C. squad is they'll hit you right back. And that's kind of exactly what they did. And they relied on their dudes, which there's no there's no more talent. There's not a more talented team in Division three then of course Dallas Christian and it's led by Speedy Nettles who leaves a legacy at DC with three helping them win three straight state championships one of the best players to ever come out of DC and man yeah he phenomenal like it was the type of thing where like all right we need to play all right let's go to three and let him go to work and that's kind of what they did multiple times he relied on DJ you know uh Jaden Davis and you know guy like Luke Carney you could tell he's kind of banged up with his ankle supposedly from last week he doesn't you don't even show it really at all and just makes and he just makes the plays he needs um to do and it was just an overall really impressive game where you know even when they got close or the, some some drive stalled because of the great play by this holy cross team um their guys kind of came to play and that you know at the end of the day like like uh like cole said i'm not going to say exactly the term because i'm not going to you know mess it up but uh, his saying you know kind of won them the game but on the other side um what a season for Holy Cross, you know, Wes, because we talked about it when like in the preseason where I believe uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but we had uh, Cypress and TCS Lubbock ranked higher than the Holy Cross going into this year because, um, you know, we were like, OK, they've never gotten over the hump uh, of beating Cypress in the South. Cypress has John Kelly, you know, all this. And last year, last week, you know. In the semifinal round, they absolutely just hold uh, Cyprus to as many like nothing. And then on the other flip side, they the, I've never seen a team kind of like scare DC in a way where it was kind of like, oh wow, like. And I I want to say that like they need to be impressed of what they've done this season and against a team like DC where 
anyone really in the north kind of like our dc comes into town it's kind of that kind of scary thing and that holy cross team doesn't get scared by anyone they fight tooth and nail until the very end that's what they did and you got to give credit to that team daniel lonzo jeremiah vallejo patrick ortiz that team is full of dudes nick hall um daniel perez they have just dudes man and i was very very impressed coming out of that team of what that senior class means we talked about it with uh you know with uh st thomas earlier of like holy cross finally got over the hump and they can stay over the hump especially with um cypress moving up to division two next year they're the favorites come out of the south in division three next year they have to be and you know they have gibby alvarado returning and everyone else that's that team can finally say hey we can do this and get to the state championship again and that's the culture they have now set at holy cross and you have to be proud of them what they did for like what uh what caleb and cole said about them what they put on for their city it's very very inspiring and you got to give those guys some love absolutely uh, i was going to uh, make a joke and say whenever you said a lot of teams are scared when they play DC I was going to say Grace Community was never scared when they played DC but I specifically remember um, sitting in um, in Dallas Christian's Visitors Field House and thinking I'm going to have to go play against Palmer Knicks and I don't know if scared I don't know if I'd use the word scared but um, genuinely concerned is probably a good um, adjective there so yeah there, there's always that kind of sense playing against DC but Holy Cross sure didn't show it and put on a great showing in the D3 state championship. So that'll conclude our discussion there. We have one final game to talk about the last game of the slate taps division four state championship. Dallas first Baptist beats Lubbock Christian 55 to 33. So I will turn to Wade West, our resident division four expert Waverly. You saw both of these teams this season. You saw Lubbock Christian, or you saw first Baptist week one. You saw Lubbock Christian in the playoffs i will ask going into this game what were your thoughts on the matchup and who you thought might win because there was some conversation from talking heads around the state that lubbock christian might be the favorite in this game yeah i mean obviously there's no doubt that those two teams were the two best in the state and deserve to be there um obviously lubbock's starting quarterback from the beginning of the season wilker horn he's was out um for most of playoffs i want to say and so luke lee did a great job um moving to quarterback and getting them to the state championship. But man, First Baptist, that offense is just absolutely incredible. You have Hunter McCoy at quarterback. You have um, Elijah Kaysen, obviously historic season. And then uh, Caleb Mitchell, all just incredible. And you can't, if you go to contain one player, then another player on that offense just steps up. And I know there was some talk, but obviously First Baptist dominated Lubbock, and rightfully so. They deserve to be the state champion. Absolutely. I remember week one of the season, you know, we went by, and I saw um, both Brazos Christian and First Baptist in the spring, and both teams looked incredibly impressive. And, you know, from a talent standpoint, looking into that week one game, I was like, yeah, it's going to be difficult. And I kind of fell back on, you know, Brazos Christian was very good last year. First Baptist was kind of meh. We'll, we'll see. And I picked Brazos Christian and First Baptist just came. I don't want to bring up bad memories, but First Baptist did come out and just absolutely waylay them. And that is due in large part, we figured out, to Hunter McCoy transferring in. A lot of this is very much the same team from last year with Hunter McCoy, one of the most dynamic athletes we've ever seen in private school football, really the key that unlocked this offense. 
Walker, just very quickly, speak to the prominence of Hunter McCoy entering this first Baptist offense and how that shot them up, how one player shot yeah. them up so far from last year. Man, it, we when he was a sophomore, I was like, okay, who is this kid out of Weatherford, Texas? Because, you know, small town, you know, they're now in six-man, so they're a small school up and coming out there. Um, you know, you always heard of like Willow Park, but then you're like, okay, going 20 minutes down the road more, there's a weather for Christian and you learn more about him. They had a good squad and that remember his junior year, he was the Lubbock killer that, that, that team beat Lubbock Christian with him at the helm and where everyone was like, okay, what, what, what is this team? What, what's going on out there? And then you watch their, his junior film and you're like, holy cow, this kid can play. And I believe he was our offensive player of the year or something like that, Wes. And, you know, and for good reason, holy cow. And what he brings to um, an offense is just versatility. Like what he's able to do with his legs and or with his arm. What is it? 85 touchdowns, Wes, this year? Like 80, something like that? I, I mean, insane. Like what you're able to do with him in an offense at that level, especially is phenomenal. And, you know, if you want to go talk here about uh, a little bit more about his character, go, go listen to Jason LaVorne's interview that we have on our Twitter of talking about, he has the it factor and he absolutely does. When you watch him play, some guys just know how to play and just know how to, what to do to win. And he's one of those dudes, man, a uh, phenomenal player. It's going to be, it's sad to watch him leave because what he did for division four these past couple of years has been nothing short of just fantastic. And um, yeah, whoever, get, whoever, whatever college wants him uh, to play quarterback for them or any uh, athlete, whatever they want him to play, they're going to be very lucky to have him on their team. He's a great player. Absolutely. 381 all-purpose yards, five passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, just uh, one of the best performances we've ever seen by a single player in the state game. But the game wasn't necessarily won by a single player. First Baptist just came out and had guys everywhere, whether it was Elijah Kaysen, Dominic Sadu, Caleb Mitchell. Caleb Corum, you saw a lot of great talent as well. What really stuck out to you in this game with First Baptist winning the D4 state title? I mean, obviously, like how y'all mentioned before with Hunter McCoy and the three D1 receivers of Elijah Kaysen, Dominic Sadu, and Caleb Mitchell. But on the defensive side, uh, George Agnostis, he had about, I think, 12 total tackles in the game. So he was he was sending a message where, you know, First Baptist offense is incredible and they're all air, air raid and they're going to punch in the end zone. But on defense, their defense showed up when they needed them to. They were hard hitting and they flew the ball well. Yeah, absolutely. George Agonosis, a freshman at First Baptist, a quarterback by Trey that's playing linebacker this year. Dad, I'm glad you brought him up. That is going to be a name to watch for the next three years in Texas high school football. That kid is going to be a fantastic talent. Mark Raysom also is a great player. Corey Thomas, the sophomore, I will say, I went by, like I mentioned, I went by First Baptist in the spring. Corey looked good, but then I saw him. Uh, in the Lovett Christian game that I went to cover. And that kid grew like two inches and put on like 30 pounds. He looks, dude, he looks like a legit D1 talent now. Has D1 offers. I think an Arizona State offer. That kid is going to be one to watch as well. A ton of talent in this First Baptist team. They bring a lot back next year. They're going to be here to stay for a long time. But, yes, Walker. I want to say, you know, you talk about him. Another guy, number 85, Mark Gutierrez. That number, the big guy, you know, they have a loaded sophomore class. Like you talk about it, Micah Foster, uh, Dominic Sadu, Mark Gutierrez, Kay, uh, who's the guy you just mentioned? Uh, 
uh, Rysom? Yeah, he's not and, yeah. 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 And no, and Core Thomas too. Yeah, Corey, those yeah. those guys, they have a loaded sophomore class. And we talked about it with the team. Uh, we were talking with one of the coaches and they were talking about like, hey, next year, the, all of those guys come back and they only lose, I think, like two or three seniors. And that team is going to be loaded on defense where uh, this year they won their games a lot on offense. And, you know, they're going to have George probably a quarterback next year with, you know, Dominic Sadu and Caleb Mitchell. So they'll be fine offensively, but they're going to win games defensively. And that with Core Thomas and guys like that, it's going to be a scary sight for another Division Four year. Absolutely. It will be incredibly fun to watch. We will see that next season. But with that being said, that's actually all the recap that we have from the state game. Now we're going to move into some storylines. We put a Q&A up. Um, a couple of days ago when I was in the midst of finals. So it gave me some distraction from studying for financial modeling, which I was greatly appreciative for. But we'll get into some of that. First one that I'm very interested in, there's been a lot of talk about, is regarding the venue. For the last uh, three years, I think, the game has been at Waco ISD Stadium. It was at Midway before that. Yep. Um, there was a lot of commentary, not a lot of which was positive regarding Waco ISD Stadium. A lot of people, you know, didn't seem to like it. I don't think it's so much Waco ISD as a venue as it is comparing it against AT&T or other big venues where they have the games. Personally, I think Waco ISD is fine. Um, there wasn't anything glaringly bad about it, in my opinion, but I think it's the comparison to, yeah. to AT&T and where UIL holds state. Walker, I'll turn to you first. What are your thoughts on the venue? Was there anything glaringly wrong with it? And your kind of thoughts on the commentary regarding uh, Waco ISD as a venue? I mean, I, I kind of think it like this. We're, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we could talk about this more later because uh, it's a huge discussion in private school football. I mean, you can talk about a con where, I mean, what stu- what fan section of e- any team up to division one really fills out their side of the f- of this fans at there like no one really fills their stands at Waco ISD so if you go put it in McLean or somewhere like that I mean is it gonna look that different you know what I mean it's gonna be a lot not that many people in a larger stadium so it's gonna be louder in a stadium like this so you can talk about that side of it but at, at the end of the day I think it comes down to your point Wes like the comparison of AT&T because, you know, you work all this season, you get all this way, you want it in a really cool stadium. And, you know, I understand that a hundred percent and, you know, playing in a team like the Alamo dome or, you know, NRG or another dome stadium like AT&T is a really cool thing. And, you know, a lot of people work a lot, a lot of time, a lot of hard work to get to a point that they have a really cool venue. Um, you know, if you want to do it in a team like, uh, like I like McLean, I like, I don't know why you wouldn't do try to do it in a place like UMHB, right down the road in Belton. Uh, you know, small private school there. There are some good venues around the state that you could really look into that have like that feel, but are a little bit nicer and look really, really cool as a college stadium. So, I mean, I think it's a definitely a conversation. I would love to hear like guy like Cole his perspective because you know you played a couple years there. What are your kind of your thoughts of the stadium that y'all played in? I enjoyed it personally. I mean, to a lot of us, it didn't matter where we played or who we played. We were just there to play ball. Yeah. Um, But playing at a stadium like Baylor would be a really cool experience, especially because, you know, in private school, there's a lot of people whose parents went to Baylor. They grew up Baylor fans. True. I'm sure that'd be a really cool experience for a lot of the guys. Me personally, I was fine with the stadium. The locker rooms were really nice. I really liked the locker rooms at Wake Up ISD. They got the nice you know, mahogany wooden lockers with a little metal lock box up top. Not too bad. 
Um, UMHB, I got to play there this year um, for Devo football at Harden Simmons. Would not recommend that. Uh, their turf is like probably 12 years old or since the stadium was built. Yeah. So it's not very good. Until they redo the turf, I wouldn't recommend that. And yeah, I mean, I, I like Waco ISD, but a place like Baylor McLean Stadium would be awesome for a lot of kids. I definitely agree with that. Mr. Caleb Corm, you were at the venue as well. Anything really stick out to you about Waco ISD? Is there anything egregiously bad or great that you liked about it? Uh, you know, I get the whole thing of wanting to compare it to AT&T Stadium. You know, as a former player, I wanted to play at the coolest stadiums as I could when we made playoffs. But, I mean, I liked that Waco ISD, the stadium was big, but it wasn't too big. So, we're like Walker and everyone else here said that the stadium could feel more full. The fans could feel out the bottom section of the bowl better. So just like that, it did feel, I guess, a little older in some parts, but I feel like it made up for it. I mean, I, I liked the turf the way it felt there. So I thought it was a good venue. Absolutely. Well, I, I don't know if you can talk too much um, good about the turf because I did what there is a screenshot of both you and Walker uh, face down on the turf slipping in the middle of a race. Our good friend, no context posted that. But but yeah, um, I, I agree with a lot of those points. It wasn't overly great or bad. Waverly, before we move on from the discussion regarding the venue, anything really stick out to you regarding Waco ISD? Uh, I think y'all touched on most of it. Um, it's not really realistic for private schools to fill up like a huge stadium. So I thought that aspect, like y'all said, was cool that it still felt pretty full. But once again, it's a great reward for players to get to play somewhere bigger that's not just like a high school. And so, you know, pros and cons. I agree. And I, I will say, I, I will, I'll get to you in a second. I will say that, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and, you know, remove from the game and say that, listen, you shouldn't care about where you're going to play. It's all the same. It's not that bad. But at the end of the day, I remember when I ran track because we weren't ever near good enough uh, to compete for a state title. But whenever I ran track a few years before me, the state meet was always at Baylor. And I thought that was the coolest thing on the planet. And finally, you know, when we got good enough that I could I could run at state my junior and senior year, they had it at Waco Midway. And I was like, man this kind of sucks. Like I really wanted to go run at Baylor. That'd be really cool. So it, like I said, it's easy to say, you know, oh, you shouldn't care that much, but at the end of the day, I think a cool venue would mean a lot to the kids. Um, that being said, we have heard some discussions regarding um, yeah. potential cooler venues. When I say cooler, I mean a lot cooler than Waco ISD. So don't think that's not in the works. We've heard some from some pretty reputable people that they're working on that. So just hang tight. It should be coming. Yeah, uh, the one thing I I just I have to mention because why don't why don't you all do it at the star? I mean, you could go talk to the old pal Jason Wynn, and it's not that big of a stands. You would probably fill it up pretty well. It's in close. It's in a dome. Wouldn't be a bad spot. And you know, private school would probably travel from Houston and Austin to go up there to, in San Antonio to go watch it. So, I mean, it, I also I also think too, like I think it also depends on the schools the schools too because you have to get like. I think if you want a state championship, like especially in this time of you know year, like it should be busloads. Like send send put kids on a bus, ship them up there, and go watch the game and build a giant student section. Like doing stuff like that for your schools and your ads getting involved too on the sports side of things. You know, I think that's really what it's about because I one of the best things about private school is I I'll say it to the end. I think student sections in private school out like outnumber a lot of public schools. Not every one of them, but a lot of them. And I think having that as a different maker difference maker in games is really really cool. So I think if you you get the fans behind it, you have a lot of packed crowds. 
moving into a bigger stadium is going to be a really cool experience for a lot of people. I agree. My one question with that would be, would there be any pushback from non-Dallas schools that it would be, you know, quote-unquote, home field advantage? Because, Walker, you're much more familiar with UIL than I am yeah. with it being at AT&T for a while. Do you see a lot of you know, a lot of pushback there? So, I know for UIL, there's always discussion because they want to rotate it between the Alamodome, NRG, and uh, AT&T because they want everyone in the state to get involved, which there's a good part of it. But if you do the math, I know uh, Matt Stepp tweeted it out and said – uh, the difference of miles traveled by the teams who made the state championship, uh, the the uh, of those three stadiums, the lowest amount is always AT&T. So for driving wise, it's the best situation for all those schools for to do it up in DFW, which I mean, if you compare it to uh, teams in DFW or teams in private school, I mean, majority of the state champion winners are always from DFW usually. So it wouldn't be a bad idea to do it from DFW. And, you know, those teams in San Antonio, Austin, and Houston would have to drive more. But, I mean, it's not a bad idea if a lot of the teams usually are from the DFW area. So you do have to have that discussion. So I agree. Yeah, it's always a, a discussion to have, but. I'm sure there will be a lot more conversation going forward. Like I say, we've gotten some some word that we're going to have some, you know, much more interesting venues at least looked at in the near future. So it would be very exciting to see some of that materialize. Another storyline we're going to hit into is, you know, it, it's the R word. It's, it's something we try to stay away from a little bit, but it's regarding recruiting and appears that. You know, it works. And, you know, I'm not going to come out and define recruiting, but in this case, I'm going to say it's guys that had a lot of kids that transferred in, um, had a lot of success this year. Teams like Parish, Liberty, D.C., First Baptist, even, you know, First Baptist, not really. I That could even fall into homegrown because a lot of those kids were there um, at least last year. But yeah. Walker, I mean, the four state champions were four guys. As you see a lot of roster turnover from a year to year basis. I mean, do you think that's directly because of recruiting? Do you think it's also has a lot to do with good coaching? You know, there's a lot of questions we had there. I mean, I think if you, I mean, I think for DC and Liberty, yeah. If you had, if you had 11 Porter Nixes on every side of the ball, you would have a really good squad, but there's a difference of that in DC. Same with Liberty, having a guy like Cole Velliver, Jalen Hawkins, uh, Nick Blevins, uh, you know, the risk, the list goes on and on and on. Those guys were really difference makers for that team. And I'm not, I mean, from the, from the stuff we hear, it's not like it's not going to be the same next year. You know what I mean? Parrish is the same way. How many Jalen Pyle, uh, Jesse Richardson, uh, the other, the other linebacker, uh, whatever his name is, Bowers, Caleb Bowers, uh, guys like that, they're difference makers that all transferred in. Um, it's, it's, it's the name of the game in public and in private. Don't ever say that it's not in public school as well. Cause it happens all the time, but, um, it, teams like St. Thomas where majority of their team was, you know, homegrown where I think Johan came in eighth grade. Uh, I know, you know, Dante came last year, so that's a little different, but, uh, Regents is the epitome of homegrown. Those guys have been there since preschool and they get there every single year. It's just, they don't get over the hump every year. Um, and they've had to deal with that with Cedar Hill, Liberty, you know, guys like that every single year. But and then Holy Cross, I mean, I know Nick Hall came from Central Catholic, but besides that, most of those dudes have grown up in uh, Holy Cross. Same with Lubbock Christian, because, you know, there's not that many teams out there to really transfer in and out in Lubbock. But it's 
transferring and uh, you know the transfer portal and like, I don't know why I can't like it's such an interesting topic which I mean in this day and age like you see in college football if you're not reaching out and trying to get kids to come to your school it, you're kind of you're not going to have a chance at the you know at state championships but at the same time you know uh uh you know I was we were talking with some people uh other schools and they were like you know staying homegrown and staying like that it makes those championships much more sweeter because you've been up and you've grown through the years with those guys so there is the thing of like all right you win a state championship i mean you still won one how does that feel compared to being homegrown it, it's an interesting topic which i mean recruiting is not going to stop it's not it's not it's not like it's been around for years and years and years so it's an interesting topic but like but to our point, it kind of worked this year pretty dang well. And Fort Bend is, or sorry, First Baptist is not really a recruiting town or recruiting school, but a guy like Hunter McCoy, a difference maker, he came in. That, I mean, how much of a difference maker would they have won a state championship without him at the helm, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I do want to open this conversation up to everyone because I think it's something that's incredibly interesting. You know, I've always said forever, I'm not going to be this guy that sits here and says recruiting's awful, it's evil, it's ruining the sport. I definitely kind of held that stance in high school because Grace wasn't school that recruited and I didn't like playing teams like DC and Brook Hill that had really good talent every year. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it's part of the game. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's ruining the sport. It's the way it is. So Cole, I, I'm I'm curious to see your opinions. Not because you're from DC, but it's just kind of the way it it's the way it is now. There's transfers all the time. It seems. Do you think to be competitive, there needs to be pretty significant roster turnover from a year to year basis? I think since I was a sophomore, especially till now, the recruiting aspect has I wouldn't say blown out of proportion, but it has increased substantially. I mean, I was a Dallas Christian my sophomore year. We brought in you know Sean Coleman. Tristan Turner and Jaden Jones. And this year I look at the guys who bring in more and more every year. And it's the same like that across most private schools, especially the DFW because of the saturation of talent there is. Yeah. I think a comparison for it is schools like Regents, I have the utmost respect for, for doing it their way. But they're like Clemson and Dabo Sweeney. He's not a transfer portal guy. That's the way the game is played now. And they're going to go eight and four, seven and five every year because he doesn't believe in the transfer portal NIL. Everyone else is on that new wave, like Oregon or, you know, Georgia or all these guys getting transfers in and they're winning championships. They're going 10 and two, 11 and one. It's the way the game is being played now. And you can respect the way that they used to do it and how it used to be played, but the game's evolving. And the transfer portal of high school football is a huge aspect of it. And a lot of teams need to hop on that ship if they want to continue to have success. I completely agree. Uh, Davo Sweeney comment made me laugh because I have, I have my own personal opinions about Davo Sweeney, so that got me a chuckle. But, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I think this is kind of a situation where, you know, you need to hop on or it's going to pass you by. And I'm sure at some point there's going to be some team um, that's going to win stay with homegrown players, and I'm going to get chirped for this comment. But I really do think – you know, a lot of a lot of people that have been slow to embrace it are having to because that's just the way you compete now. Waverly, even in D4, we see teams that get a lot of talent in and out from year to year. I mean, what are your thoughts? Kind of the same questions I asked Cole. It really seems like you need to embrace, you know, the quote unquote high school transfer portal, which I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's a real thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on the prevalence of it and the need to compete in private school football? Yeah, I mean, 
like y'all said, the sport is going to change over years. And I don't know, 10 years ago, this definitely was not much of an issue as it is now, but it is almost to the point where you either recruit players to come to your school or you kind of get left in the dust, honestly, especially, I mean, yes, we talked about division four, how it is somewhat, but especially division one and division two, it really is just, hey, come on, come play with us. And it is, if you win a state championship like Liberty or Parish did, that is, um, I don't want to say like a positivity for recruiting, but I mean, it does make players want to come to you more if you do win like those two teams did. And so it's just kind of a never ending cycle, I would say. I completely agree. And listen, at the end of the day, um, it gets more talent into private school football, which, you know, from a selfish aspect, I like covering really good players. And the higher the level of talent, the more I think of a spotlight starts to get shifted towards private school athletics. So, you know, the old saying go goes, uh, a rising tide lifts all ships. You know, it could be the same type of situation here. But, you know, it's I, I was going to say it's yet to be seen because it's kind of a new phenomenon. That's a complete lie. This has happened forever. This has happened since I was in middle school. It might be at an increasing pace now, but don't let people tell you this is a new thing. It's not. Caleb, I'm interested to hear your perspective because you are the one guy on this panel right now that, you know, actively played in football this last year. What are your thoughts on the prevalence of recruiting and how, you know, what was it like? What's it like to play in it now? Uh, You know, with recruiting now, it's kind of just adapt or die. It comes with the territory of the game now. Playing against it, I mean, I mean, it's always been around pretty much since I've been in high school. Kids would transfer in, especially after a team would have a really good year. So it just comes with the territory. But I think it really – the part that we're missing out on is the kids who are transferring in, they have to be accepted into the culture of the school. If they don't get accepted to the culture of the school, then, you know, they're not going to mesh well. They're not going to bond well. And you saw that in Liberty this year where it seemed like they all actually really cared about each other and they were able to have a great year and win the state championship. So it was all about – you know, the the guys who've been homegrown at the school really accepting the kids who are transferring in. That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's I, that was one of the better points brought ooh, up. No, and I, I remember the days where it was like um where Nolan, Nolan, for example, back in the day, right? Where I heard stories of the years of Nolan where it was like you would have a new kid at Nolan every single week and you would just show up to class one day and be like, You just saw a new kid in class and be like, Oh, okay. And, you know, the thing about that, though, is, you know, they had dominance for years, but the guys who have been there for so long, who, you know, grew up in the ranks, been there since preschool, their spot gets taken. Uh, they're all right, We're finally, in, you know, their high school years, we're able to go play and they're not able to play and start on varsity. And you also have that argument. You that hurts for a lot of kids who've been up through the ranks of, you know, watched high school, you know, when they were in elementary school in the stands watching their high school, you know, and have that dream of playing, all right, I'm going to go play ball for that school. Um, you know, it's, it's, the it's a tragedy and, you know, it is an interesting thing where, you know, also in private school, you have a lot of, you have to take a test to come into a lot of schools and you have to deal with that. And, you know, do you have the academics? Do you have the GPA? Do you have the care to like actually, you know, pass your classes and worry about that as well. So that's a little bit, you know, uh, you know, academically, you know, private schools are usually higher, you know, depends on the school, of course, but that's usually the, you know, the stigma. So, you know, it's an interesting thing where, you know, that's a good point Kayla brings up is, I mean, you have to mesh well and bring into the culture of the school where, you know, you just can't get a transfer in. And then, you know, how many times, Wes, have we seen over the years where a guy supposedly transfers in after a month or so, you don't see them there anymore because they just didn't fit in. So it, it happens, and that's a great point for sure. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I'll use this to tease. Um, I think in the coming weeks, we're going to have, you know, somebody that I'm very good friends with that I started a podcast with a long time ago that yeah. was in the game and got recruited by a school and actually went through that transition of almost recruiting from once or transferring from one school to another. We're going to have an episode, I think, just talking about that. So this is a nice teaser for that. So stick around. I think it's going to give a really good perspective. It's kind of just going to be you know, three guys that played private school ball talking about the implications of what that has become. But that being said, we've got one last storyline before we let the interns go here, and that is how realignment will change the title hopes for next season. We already did a kind of emergency podcast regarding realignment. There's a lot of shakeup. I think probably the biggest news, you can correct me if this is incorrect, Walker, or uh, this isn't going to correct, but correct me if it's not the biggest news, is Liberty moving up from TAPS Division Two to TAPS Division One. Uh, I'm going to ask right now, does Liberty become the Division One favorite just from moving up a division next year? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it might be that simple. Listen, I, I'm not going to slight Parrish because, you know, five straight state titles. I, you know, I almost fell into the trap of of kind of wanting to get cute and maybe take St. Thomas. But I, I think I will... I'll be a little bit wary of immediately picking Liberty next season just because Parrish has navigated those waters for so long. But Liberty is going to be really, really good moving straight up. I'll, I'll talk to I'll open it up to the interns who got to watch um, Liberty in that state title game. Um, at least Cole, Cole, you watched both Parrish and Liberty. Um at state do you think liberty moving up a division next year do you think do you think they're the title favorite number two do you think they have a strong chance to compete for it if not i think liberty is the title favorite just because of the amount of talent they have coming back with chase garnett both both of those big offensive linemen coming back the Witten brothers coming back and obviously jason within there he's going to stay there and you know over the last few years you know in the offseason there's been uncertainty with Novikov getting job offers here and there, yada, yada, yada. There's been rumors about that. I'm sure he stays another year, and I'm sure he gets his guys in once again. Sawyer Anderson's coming back. I, It's hard to say who the favorite is at this point, but I would have to go with Liberty um, just because of the momentum they have right now. Parrish was kind of on the downfall this year. Granted, they had two losses to two teams currently playing in the UIL 5A state championship games. Can't be too too hard on them for that. But then they also beat one of those teams last year. And they, again, won state in UIL 5A. So they may be on a little bit of a decline. And that, like we talked about earlier, winning championships is what brings players in. But not winning them as dominantly won't bring in as many players. Liberty ran through their schedule 14-0, winning – I think every game by double digits, if I'm not mistaken. So I think they'll win the recruiting battle, which is another thing that we talked about at the state games was the DFW recruiting battle between Winton and Novikov, which is going to be epic. Got to get our popcorn ready for that one. And I think Winton, I mean, it's, it's a Dallas Cowboys ring of honor and future NFL Hall of Famer. Why would you not want to play for him? So I think Winton wins the recruiting battle. I think Liberty goes on to win and be Parrish in the state game by 15. Oh, man, there's nothing I like more than way too early uh, (laughs) season predictions. And that is that's a fiery one. It's uh, dude, it's going to be interesting. Not only the watching the recruiting battle that takes place in the offseason, like you mentioned, but the on the field um, game that will inevitably occur. Uh, Caleb, you know, this is something you played against Liberty. Obviously, you follow Parrish throughout the season. 
going into next year, do you agree with Colbert's sentiment that Liberty is probably the title favorite moving into 2024? Yes, I do believe Liberty will be the title favorite in 2024. Uh, the heat zone over the DFW area between Coach Novikov and Coach Witten there is going to be insane. Um, both tremendous programs. One kind of is a little, I guess, I wouldn't say rocky, but maybe on the slight decline a little bit. And one that's just shooting straight word up. So it's, it's going to be fun to watch. I think uh, Liberty's going to win state. And uh, I'll be interested to see which uh, the recruiting battles that will take place. Yeah. Okay, I I do, I do have to say because both of you did mention like Parrish being quote unquote rocky or on a decline. Like that is the only reason we're saying that is because Parrish has been so dead. They just want a state championship. Keep in mind this year, and it's just because they've been so dominant last year. It's just it, it's it's slipping. They slipped up against two great UIL teams. They got clipped by EHS, and they still you got to remember they still beat great teams like like Preston Wood in the playoffs. And granted. D1 as a whole was down a little bit this year. That there's no that's no secret. But Parrish, do you I, I think that's true? I think the North was down. They were down, but I felt like South was up. In my I, I agree. Sorry. I, I meant to say whenever I was saying that, I should have said I'm the North. The South was up. And this I do think the South was up. I, I want to add into another school. And we'll I'll 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 do my encyclopedia knowledge about the rest of the realignment after we talk about this subject but a school in division one that we're not talking about enough i think preston one is also going to be in that battle for recruiting next year is i mean how many guys kellen tasby jack harwell uh you know uh the the uh madison uh the corner but yeah yeah Dikashi Shaw from TCA too came with Harwell. Exactly. They it's not like they don't like to use the transfer portal as well. And you know if if you know they almost beat them this year, they almost beat Paris this year, almost beat uh, STH. I'm just gonna say uh, Donnie Antis is not afraid to go and try to be a battle with the big boys as well. No, it's um it's gonna be incredibly exciting. Waverly West, we haven't heard your comments yet on this. It's an incredibly fun subject. So I'll start with the question: Do you think Liberty? becomes the immediate title favorite and just any general observations regarding what's going to be just some fantastic competition in D1 next year. Yeah, I mean, I think y'all definitely touched on how Liberty is just insanely good and I don't want to make a prediction quite yet, but they're it's going to be a battle, but I feel like also it's just good for the sport. Um, Parrish has won, like we said, five straight and just having some, not the same team being good every year, maybe Liberty wins it next year. And it just is good to have some variety and gets more people involved. And it really shows how um, private school football just reaches a lot of people. And that's going to be a really fun thing to watch next year. Absolutely. It's uh, it's going to be incredibly fun. So, Walker, we talked about in, in the last like seven or eight minutes, we've talked about one yeah. team regarding realignment. Uh, there's there's a lot of news, you know, TCS moves up Austin. Well, the, the division two districts are all just, yeah, you know, I've, I've had my um, opinions on that. But what, what are your <laughs> thoughts regarding kind of the macro view of realignment? Um, In the south, let's talk early. Uh, you know, STH stays up there in division one. Uh, I think I think everything else kind of stays the same. Maybe San Antonio Christian moves down. I honestly don't know on the top of my head. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, that's that district is going to be good. Mason Hartwell will be at the helm of St. Thomas, and they're going to probably be the favorites in that division in the South. Um, you know, I love Mason Hartwell. I think he's going to be a great player for them for years to come. Uh, going into Division Two, uh, you know, 
poor uh Alston's probably becomes the favorite now in division two to win the state championship next year. Keldon Ryan and a lot of those other guys, Cuse Williams and uh Ian Bothwell, they all stay. They become the favorites in division two next year. Uh on the on the southern side, uh Cypress moves up to division two to compete with um Fort Ben and Second Baptist, who all three of those teams are gonna be a bloodbath for who gets first place in that district. So that's gonna be fun to watch. And then regions probably, I mean. Regis might be the favorite. I mean, you can make an argument that Regis is probably the favorite in uh, Division Two next year coming out of the South. They have a deep s- sophomore class. Uh, you know, Quinn Murphy will come back at the helm and you know be the probably the best player in Division Two next year. Um, well, him and Keldon probably are going to argue with that role, but still, or no, Max Gramble. I'm sorry, Gramble. I, I will mention really quickly in D two talking about District Two. Um, Brook Hill also moves back up from Division Three. Brook Hill's yeah. traditionally been a, um, a Division Two school. I'm interested to see how they do in that division because I think they can beat teams like Hyde Park, Brentwood, Dunn, Grace Prep, maybe. Um, you know, they they didn't, you know, they got whacked by DC. They got overshadowed in D3 a lot because they were in DC's division. But I think Brook Hill, you know, the, if you've ever been out to Brook Hill, first of all, those facilities are immaculate. They are beautiful. They also, you know, they got a boarding school. They recruit very well from the from the greater Tyler area. I'm very interested to see how they can be poised to compete in District Two. Yeah, um, and that also puts if I'm well, no, that if they do it like the playoffs last year because they're now District Two, right? Is there only there's no there's still four districts, but District Three is now just like four teams, but. Yeah. That puts Regents on one side of the bracket, not the south. They're on now the north side of the bracket. I'd say they would have to play. They would play All Saints and probably the semifinal matchup, which that'll be a fun one. But on then on the other side, yeah, then Fort Bend, Second Baptist, or uh, Cypress Christian is probably the favorite out of the south next year. So that's gonna be interesting to watch. Division three, Lubbock Christian moves up to the D three, which is gonna be fun. That helps, uh, you know, teams like uh, Brazos Christian and First Baptist uh, compete for the Division four title. But, um, you know, they have to run up the lines of DC, and you don't even know who DC is gonna look like next year. So DC Lubbock Christian, TC, uh, TCS Lubbock's now in the Division two. Um, those are probably the two favorites out of the north and the south. Holy Cross with Cypress Christian moving up. They're probably the favorites in the South coming out of the South. Um, I Bernie Geneva with Rosenteel is not going to be there anymore. So I don't honestly know who else out of the South Bay area, maybe. But um, yeah, probably those two teams out of the South. And then in Division Four, uh, Hallettsville lose Nick Angerstein, Brady Haas. Um, Austin Kutak, I believe is at 24 as well, or 25. So they are probably not a favorite out of there. Central Texas Christian loses to board Tyson. My encyclopedia knowledge is going crazy right now. Um, uh, those two teams, uh, Northland Northland might be with Rome. Stanford might be a favorite out of there. And Brazos Christian they'll, probably is they'll the be other. good. Yeah. They'll be they, good next year. They were young this year and I think they're gonna get a lot better next year. So Northland Brazos, you know, with, you know, Cooper Murr at the helm as a freshman, right? Yeah. So them and they have a couple other junior guys that I'm excited to watch. So them probably in the South are probably the favorites, depending on where that district aligns and who gets on what side of the bracket. And then first Baptist with, you know, talented sophomore and junior class, they come back and they're probably the favorites out of division four next year. So uh, that's your little encyclopedia knowledge for you. Yeah, just really quickly, I've got to read through division three district two and uh, the division that DC is in. Um, Tyler Bishop Gorman, McKinney Christian, the Covenant School, Dallas Shelton, Tyler uh, All Saints. 
<laughs> Again, like I said, our, our good friend No Context put out a tweet whenever this was whenever um this was released, and I think it it goes along the lines of this is going to lead to war crimes. This district should not be allowed in any way, shape, or form. D do you know what DC playing Tyler All Saints is going to look like? A bloodbath. It's going to make what Trinity Christian did to Grace and all the other schools look like competitive football games. I also I got um I got a DM right when this got released, and I was talking about it from a source that I now think was incorrect that said um Gorman and All Saints immediately went independent whenever whenever this was released. I can see it happening. Um I haven't gotten any official word on that. If I was Gorman or All Saints, I would immediately go independent if I knew I had to play DC. Because again, no slight to my Tyler schools, but it, it's going to be nasty. That being said, um, again, DC is going to be the clear favorite in in Division Three. Um, well, Holy Cross actually, Holy Cross still brings a lot back. That'll be interesting. That being said, uh, Walker, you hit on the rest of it really well. It's going to be interesting. There is a lot of shakeup, as there always is yep. in in realignment. It's always There's, very fun yeah. content to put out, but it'll uh. It'll be a fun time. So, uh, Walker, before we let the the interns go, and we we go about the rest of our business. Any any thoughts, comments, concerns on what we've talked about up to this point? Yeah, no. On that last topic, it's gonna be interesting to see how who goes independent out of a lot of these districts. Savio goes into one of those districts. Do they say independent? You know, there's a multiple other schools in that division two district four that Houston district. There, there's so many teams. Some of them are gonna go independent. Uh, but besides that, um. I'm just I'm glad for the first year in a while there was a lot of competitive matchups and in, in state championships and I was really happy that you know there's there's some parity this year and I was really really glad about that um you know look at the preseason I believe we had uh for division one we had Saint Tom, uh we had Parish one and then Preston with two so we were a little bit wrong about that but we still had the state champion division two we were right in putting Liberty over All Saints and we chose them and I think Regents was three so we weren't wrong about that. And then Dallas Christian over Cyprus. We were still right about that. Lubbock Christian, we ranked higher than First Baptist. So we were around right about that or wrong about that. And then in SPC, we had Bel Air winning it over St. John. So we were right about the winner, wrong about the loser. And we were perfect on the SPC 3A, Trinity Valley over Houston Christian. So absolutely well, again, that just that just goes to show maybe, maybe we know ball a little bit. We Maybe we'll see. That's up for debate. A lot of people on Twitter will tell you otherwise, but that's neither here nor there. Guys, in terms of the interns, uh, Colbert, I'll start with you, and then we'll move to Waverly and Caleb. First of all, thank all of y'all for joining us. Y'all's Hope yep. at State was fantastic. Before we before we kick y'all off here, just closing comments, thoughts regarding State, and just getting getting to cover that. It was an amazing experience getting to learn, especially behind the camera, because you know Dallas Christian and with my own little mole mafia thing. I'm an in front of the camera guy. It's what I've done, but getting to learn behind the camera and shoot videos was an absolute blast and a really important skill to know going into the sports media world. So I was really thankful for that opportunity. The hospitality room was pretty good. Uh, they had barbecue chicken Papa John's that I never had before. And that was phenomenal. That was I think I had four pieces and a Dr. Pepper for lunch that day. Good time there. So thank you taps for providing that. And thank you all for providing this amazing experience. It was a great idea with the internship thing. That was genius on y'all's part. And I was so blessed to be a part of it and loved every second of it that I could get to contribute. Thank you to the greatest mullet in sports media, Cole Berg. Waverly West, closing comments. 
Um, yeah, Cole said it all. This whole experience, but especially the state championships, was such an incredible opportunity. Um, I got to do a lot of post-game interviews, which was an absolute blast. I got to talk to so many fun people, some coaches, and just like everyone was so thankful. And that was just so cool to see the joy on everybody's faces after they were crown state champions. Um, other than that, I'm just excited to see where TXPS Media goes after this. And thank you all for this opportunity. Absolutely. Caleb Corum, the second fastest man in TXPS media, closing comments and concerns. <laughs> yeah, Walker Lott, I guess the fastest. Oh, yeah. No, Walker, uh, hopefully maybe next year we can run it back again. And oh, absolutely. See, uh, absolutely. The fastest is. But uh, yeah, this was an awesome experience for me before going off to college. I wanted to get some real world experience. And these guys gave me that opportunity and was able to run with it. Had an absolute blast covering state, getting to hang out with everybody a part of this crew and get to see where everyone's from and you know i got to network a little bit go out of go out of myself and go out and interview some players after the games and shout out to all the taps people very nice and very humbled and thankful that i got to do this absolutely like i said we're, we're a broken record we can't thank all of y'all enough our content would not have been close to what it was this year without y'all's contributions and also even more so than that i'm going to steal what walker said to me whenever walker came up um at the end of the D4 game. And we're always like, listen, like at the end of the D4 game, it's been a long weekend of games. We're tired. You know, the energy's down a little bit. And it, it was the exact opposite this year, getting yeah. to talk with all of y'all, having all of y'all on the sidelines and having our own little crew, dude. It was it was the most fun I've had in a long time. I can't say enough good things. Thank you to all of you from all of us. It has been fantastic. It's been a blast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So with that being said, we'll take a brief intermission. We'll release the interns. Thank you all so much. We will see you all back here in just a second. All righty. Hello and welcome back. We started with five. We're going to end with two. We sent the interns on their way. Again, huge thank you to all of them. We've said it a ton before, but our content is much better with them. They're all fantastic. Go check them out. But We've got two more segments to get through. The first are going to be standouts that we saw at State. Now, there's a bit of criteria here. We're going to shout out seniors that are uncommitted, just guys that we think need more love from colleges that we saw at State that could help any collegiate program. So, Mark, a lot. Division One. tell us who on each side uh, looked incredibly good, who is a senior, who is uncommitted. Yeah, uh, that receiving core for St. Thomas, Luke Edgecombe is one of the best receivers in the state, Larry Benton as well, and also the tight end, Blaze Covington, are three guys definitely colleges coaches need to go look after. They're long, they're lanky, they're athletic, they're all going to be great value to your team. I think Larry and Luke are definitely Division One talents at receiver, and I think Blaze Covington is one of the most underrated tight ends in the state. Give them some love. Offensively, Jacob Husband, the offensive lineman, is a guy who's like 6'6", 6'7", uh, you know, is coming is still very, very raw, but can be a valued asset to any college program. He is like light on his feet. He has the size and the strength to back it up. He's going to be a key piece for any roster in a college. And also on defense, Keenan Bonner and Eleanor Valentine as defensive backs were great players all year. Uh, and I think, you know, Aaron Valentine, at like 6'3", is a key asset for any college program. Keenan Bonner is a guy who has, you know, college blood in him with, you know, his older brother playing at Baylor right now. And, you know, it was a great asset, was a key piece of a DB room that was very, very good at helping him get to the state championship. Also, defensive lineman Dominic Ori was a great defensive tackle for them, uh, helped them uh, control the line of scrimmage all year. Uh, do you want to do Parrish? Absolutely. Yeah. Caleb Bowers um, is an absolute dude. Like whenever I mentioned on a couple podcasts ago, whenever that dude stepped on the field, 
coming back from injury, immediate game changer. That dude could add so much value to any college program. He needs to be snatched up. And then also the offensive line comprising of Nate Weber, Jacob Pequeno, and Nick Ferris. That offensive line doesn't move without those guys. They're three fantastic, seasoned, very, very elite players. Again, would add a ton to any collegiate program. Also defensive lineman Ty Whitty, just an absolute terror when he gets on the field. Like I said, all of those Parrish guys, you know, five straight state championships. It doesn't happen without really key players any college program would be more than happy to have those guys. So moving into D2, Walker, you take the South and tell us about Austin Regions. Yeah. By the way, these are guys who are uncommitted prospects. You know, there's of course guys on both sides of the ball, like, you know, Johan or Maddox Reed, who are already committed. So we just want to shout out the uncommitted guys uh, for Austin Regents, you know, Hudson Powell, Chili Sayer uh, offensively are two guys that were phenomenal all year. I think Chili Sayer is one of the best running backs in TXPS, and he's un- and he's just underrated, man. At 6'1", runs a 4'5", he has the size and the speed to bat- match his just athleticism, and he would be a great uh, contribution to any uh, coll- collegiate uh, locker room. Uh, the same with Hudson Powell. Hudson Powell is a Division One player. Whether uh, I mean, he is getting looks by PWOs, but I think someone needs to pull the trigger and he'd be a value asset to your team. Like I've always said, four, five, three, forty, eighty-two inch wingspan, six, seven. That's all you need to hear, baby. Um, uh, Jacob Wilburn is a guy who was four or three years all state or four years all state. Uh, since his freshman year, he started as a freshman. Um, started at a DB, moved into linebacker, and you know that the athleticism to get to do both over his four years is. is a testament to him, and he's a great asset. Division one offered linebacker. Go take a look at him. And also William Johnson, uh, versatile guy for them. But I think he played linebacker, played some defensive line for them. Valued piece of that uh, the Regis defensive uh, front. Go take a look at him and go watch that film. Absolutely. On the Liberty side, you know, a ton of talent. Some guys that are seniors that are unsigned that would make a great addition to any college program. Max Saul, we mentioned him so many times throughout the season. The dude is an absolute mauler, just lives in the backfield, eliminates quarterbacks, would make a fantastic addition to any college program. Also, Joining him on the defensive line is defensive tackle Murphy Wren, 6'1", 225, another guy that if you give him a shot to get in the backfield, he absolutely takes it, would absolutely fit anywhere. Also, uh, center Antonio Simone. Again, we talk a lot about Nate Humphreys and Keith and Smith. Antonio Simone is also a really key player on this offensive line, can absolutely go play at the next level. Also, Michael Stump, a guy that I talked a lot about, not only at wide receiver, but also just as good of a kicker. Automatic um, on extra points, can move out to 40, 50 yards, kick field goals. That dude is a stud. All of these guys on, you know, it, it says a lot to even just start on a team like Liberty. All these guys starters, all these guys contributors, big, big time ball players. Yeah, going down to Division Three, um, you know, I'll let you do the DC side, but two guys because there's not that many seniors uh, for uh, Holy Cross this year. But two guys, D- Jeremiah Valheo, Daniel Alonzo. Daniel Alonzo might be one of the most underrated offensive linemen in the state. How he uh, dominated uh, DC this game in state championships. You know, I watched him against Antonio, and he was impressive physically. But watching him truly this game against DC was very, very impressive. Against one of the best defensive lines in Division Three, he dominated. And Jeremiah Vallejo, you're not going to find a harder, uh, more hard hitting linebacker than Jeremiah Vallejo. He puts his puts his body on the line, everything he has for his team, and who doesn't want that on a college team? So uh, definitely go take a look at those two guys. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll just take a second and say Vallejo was one of, if not the most impressive player in the state game on the defensive end. That dude is a beast. Any college program needs to go and take him. He is fantastic. Also on the Dallas Christian side, guys like Devontae High, you know, Jaden and Katori Crawl. I mean, so, so daggum underrated. Like I said with Liberty, to even start on this Dallas Christian team is, is a fight in itself. And to make plays at that level is incredibly difficult. Also, Chris Scott, DJ Lampkins playing linebacker. Both of those guys are absolute studs. Not only physical presences, but also both very smart. Don't make mistakes, fill gaps just stuff that you want and is incredibly vital at the next level. Aiden Wirtz on the defense, on the offensive line, huge, huge stout player. Um, him, Porter Nix, guys like that, incredibly talented. Corey Taylor is a guy that I've, I've talked a ton about him this season, an electric playmaker, a guy who you just get the ball in his pants and he makes plays. He is fantastic. And also to close it out, Jaden Davis, one in a long line of fantastic Dallas Christian running backs, smart, elusive, get the ball in open space, gets to the crib, fantastic player, just a ton of great unsigned seniors on this Dallas Christian team. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, going into Division Four, I'll let you talk about First Baptist. I'll take Lubbock. Luke Lee is a guy who's one of the better athletes in all of Division Four, all state as an athlete, first team all state. Um, one of the better guys who just, you know, had to be plugging in as a quarterback, but is an exceptional athlete at receiver. Joseph Fernandez has been a guy who made first team all state last year as a receiver, probably made it again this year. Uh, one of the most underrated dudes at receiver in division four all season. And for the past couple of years, dude is a, he's a great ball player. Go take a look at him. Brady Simmons is a guy, you know, uh, the running back for, uh, Lubbock Christian is a, a bigger stout back but he's able to be athletic and run the ball really, really well. And Matthew Pascuzzi is a guy who uh, plays offensive line for them because, of course, it's Division Four, but it's probably true position. probably had a linebacker role. Um, key piece for that Lubbock Christian defense, uh, makes plays. Uh, go take a look at that film, man. Very, very impressive. Absolutely. And D4 um, for First Baptist, Abuchi Godwin is a guy from the second I saw him in the spring is just screams – uh, division one talent he's like six six long lanky um just fantastic defensive edge product literally his first season playing football this year made an instant impact any team would be incredible he's a, he's the definition of steel if you can get him he's gonna make your team a lot better hunter mccoy as well i don't know how you can talk about this first baptist team without talking about hunter mccoy hunter mccoy is one of the most dynamic playmakers we've ever seen in Texas private school football. It would be an injustice for me to describe it with words. Go turn on his film from his junior and his senior year. That will say enough. He's a fantastic quarterback and can also literally play anywhere on the field. Kid just needs a shot. Guarantee you he will make the most of it. Also, 6'3 offensive lineman Jackson Shamlin, a guy that did a great job of protecting Hunter McCoy, whether it was whether he was throwing or scrambling. Um, like I said, six foot three, have you set great prospect everything you're looking for so three guys that are incredibly good for first baptist and can play at the next level so that will conclude uh guys that unsigned seniors that we really stood out to us at state and throughout the season so to close out the program we're going to talk about not just the best players we saw at state but the best players that we saw throughout the season just going through covering games. We're not going to use any guys from state winning teams so we can get kind of a more rounded view of what we saw this season. So both Walker and I have about 
four to five guys at each position from quarterback to defensive back. So, Walker, let's start at the quarterback position where everything runs through some guys stuck out to us this year. Yeah, you know, I, I have to start out with Dante Lewis, one of the most exceptional quarterbacks I've ever seen at the at this level. Um, you know, just very, very impressive and definitely, you know, I think he's going to go play D1 football, but he's going to be even better baseball player at Kansas State, so shout out to him. Uh, Quinn Murphy's a guy that, you know, 6'2 grew like what, a couple, like four or five inches over the summer and, you know, is now 6'2 now and one of the best. He's going to be probably the best quarterback in 2026 in the state. Phenomenal player. Regis is lucky to have him. Definitely, you know, you're going to see a lot of colleges after this season's uh, tape really go take an interest in him. Another guy, Carson Gordon, was a guy that, you know, when we watched him last year, we were like, oh, this guy's the real deal. Dominated all season, beat Parrish, went and won the state championship, and that resulted in him being the guy that uh, Chip Kelly wants at UCLA. Great, great player. Shout out to him. Uh, two underrated guys that I really, really like. Leighton Rivier over at Savio is one of the most underrated cats in all of private school. He's the second best quarterback in and awesome behind Quinn, and that's no slouch because Quinn's the real deal, and he's also the real deal. Leighton Rivier can throw a beautiful ball, and the guys he had around him made him even better. And he's just he's an exceptional talent. Colleges need to be all over him, and I know he's taking visits, so shout out to him. I saw you at uh Harden Simmons wearing the TXPS hat repping us. Shout out to you, man. I appreciate that. But also Jace Toscano. Jace Toscano is one of the most underrated guys in all of uh TXPS. Uh, he's cool, calm, and collected, makes the throws he needed to, and he's also very versatile, the dual threat per- person that he is. He makes plays happen. That's what you want on a team. I know he's probably not gonna play uh football at the next level, but he might walk on, you never see. But he's a great player. Any college would be lucky to have him. A couple honorable mentions, David Campio. David Capobianco at Kincaid made some impressive throws when I saw him in the uh, St. John's game and also the uh, uh, King, uh, the Episcopal game in the, in the state championship. Stephen Gill on the other side. Stephen Gill is one of the most underrated guys in Houston. Trinity is going to get a steal in Stephen Gill. He's about to light up D3 for years to come. And Kellen Tasby, uh, the two-lane commit, has been, was as advertised in that St. Thomas game, throwing the ball all over the field, making plays with his legs, which also surprised me. Absolutely. Yeah. A bunch of great guys, a bunch of great Southern quarterbacks. Uh, in terms of mine, uh, I have Keldon Ryan, Carson Gordon, Brett Kilchrist, Gavin Parkhurst, and Ian Pulte from Fort Worth All Saints, Bel Air Episcopal, Houston Christian, Trinity Valley, and Legacy Christian, respectively. All these guys are great. Obviously, we've talked a lot about how good Keldon and Carson are. Um, and Gavin as well, two really underrated guys, and Brett Kilchrist and Ian Pulte. I think both of those guys, Kilchrist absolutely is a college ball player like we talked about with a bunch of these guys we listed previously. Ian Pulte is a fantastic quarterback and a very stacked 25 class. The way he was able to throw the ball in that um, – in that quarterfinal game against Southwest, uh, he was he was very talented. So all of those guys, incredible talents. And we got a UCLA uh, level quarterback in there as well. And a Virginia Tech guy. So no, no shortage of talent in private school, as always. Walker, let's move down to running back. Yeah, running backs, uh, Johan Cardenas, enough said. Vandy commit, sensational. Uh, Chili Sayer, I talked about him a little bit earlier. Great player, 4-5-3 at 6-1. Great player, go take a look at him. Cole Allen, I mean, there's not a more underrated guy in Houston than Cole Allen. What he did for that St. John's team kept him so close to the state championship appearance, and he's just sensational, and he had a great year, uh, dominated a lot of teams over the years. To board Tyson, uh, a guy from Central Texas Christian, even though he's around 5'8", 
stout, but he does not quit. He has 100% left in the tank in the fourth quarter and does not stop, and that's how he wins against other teams. Just a dominant, dominant player at that level. Definitely a college would love to have him. Miles Rader was a guy that, you know, I'm a, it's gonna be it's gonna be bad how I'm saying this, but he shouldn't be as good as he is when you look at him, if that makes sense. But yeah. he is just a dominant player, and he was the engine of that King K team. When you look at him, you're like, that's that's Miles Raider. And then you watch him play, and it's night and day. And how he dominated opposing teams were like I remember Episcopal parents were like, just don't kick him the ball and kick off because he would run it all the way to the other side. That's just who he is. Dominant player. You saw it this season, how much he meant to that Kincaid team. Great, great player. Honorable mention, Bork Toller, Romarian Tillman from Fort Bend, Brandon Thomas from Episcopal, and also John Kelly from Cypress Christian. Absolutely. The four guys that I got are Grace Community, or not Grace Community, Grant Turner from Grace Community, Bradley Perez from Midland Christian, Clayton Sebecki from Grapevine Faith, and Ben Nagishu from Trinity Valley. All four guys that I think could go in the underrated category. Grant Turner is, my good lord, one of the best single-game performances I've seen covering the sport. Put up six touchdowns, I think it was six, against Grapevine Faith. Uh, shifty, elusive, fast, hard to tackle. Any any adjective you want to use to describe him, fantastic talent. Needs to go play ball at the next level. Briley Perez, I remember watching um, against Grace on my phone uh, in the first round game. And every time he touched the ball, I just assumed he was going to the house. Just a crazy talent for the Mustangs. Clayton Sebecki, the Air Force commit, just time and time again, is consistency is the word that comes to mind. Every game he shows up. And I guess technically he's, I don't know why I've got him in the running back position. He should be in the quarterback position because that's what he played this year, but he's just such a dynamic athlete. He's going to be a fantastic talent at the next level. Also Ben Nagishu, the last guy I mentioned, a fantastic player for Trinity Valley, a guy that put in a lot of work over the off season to get bigger, stronger, faster. It paid off dividends, a fantastic talent for TBS. Let's move on down to wide receiver. Yeah, uh, I talked about Luke Edgecombe and Hudson Powell a little bit ago, but very, very impressive athletes. Those are definitely two of my guys. Rally Strode, I know Wes also has him on his list. Ball player, man. Any guy would, any team would be lucky to have him. What a player. David Duplantier is a guy who I think is so underrated in TXPS. 6'4", 6'3", maybe, now probably, yeah, 6'2", to 6'3". Uh, ball player, goes up and gets it, can play DB as well. Just a ball player that you want on your team. Athletic as heck, um, and just makes any catch you needed to do. Uh, you know, that was late Revere's main guy on that squad. I think he's a sensational player. Uh, another guy, Nick Angerstein at the Division Four level was just so much fun to watch. Uh, you know, he's a great kicker, and that's where he's going at the next level. But athletic, too, uh, dominated the division four level, one of the best wide receivers, and he showed why week in and week out. Honorable mentions, of course, are Larry Ben, who I definitely think if you gave him the ball more in that state championship game, he they, they could maybe have been a different game because no one could cover him. But also Blake Smith. Blake Smith was so much fun to watch this year. What an athletic guy at that uh, at such a young age, only a sophomore, and he's going to be awesome for, for years to come. Absolutely. The guys that I had were Hutch Crow from Parrish, Gunnar Nivar from Prestonwood, Riley Strode from Antonian, Kate Crawfler from Fort Worth Christian, and Kevin Dodder from All Saints. Guy, just as a collective, just a fantastic list. Really hard to see Hutch Crow only playing about, I think it was three games this season. Just so, I mean, one of the most 
dominant players I've seen step in at the wide receiver position. Just any team he played against, it was just it was like a 200-yard game immediately. Gunnar Nivar as well, incredibly underrated. A guy that just went up and get it. Him and Tag O'Neill should be on this list as well. Those guys for Preston were both fantastic. Oh, yeah. Riley Strode, you, you hit on very well. Just since we started watching him as a sophomore, has been fantastic. Kay Crawfler is another very underrated guy from Fort Worth Christian that I liked a ton. And Kevin Doddard, both Kevin and Dougie, man, and Quamante Williams, all three of those guys from All Saints just went up, made made uh, Keldon's job easy, just go up, get the ball. And guys like Kevin's case, throw him a screen, 50 yards to the house, easy money. All guys that are elite at wideout. Yeah, moving on to offensive line, uh, we're starting out with Anthony Pellerin. Anthony Pellerin is a dude. He's versatile. He's athletic. He's strong. He's physical. There were so many times in that state game, we were like, all right, what's Pellerin doing? Oh, he's already pancaked, so I'm going. That's just who he is. Um, I've said it since last year, the best center in all of TXPS. Any team would be lucky to have him. I think he's a Division One talent, no doubt. Uh, Daniel Alonzo was a guy that we heard about since week one when I watched him against Antonio, another dominant guy, and he showed in the state championship game why we already talked about him a little bit earlier. Colin Witt and Billy Wheelis, the two offensive linemen for Episcopal this year, were phenomenal uh, helping Carson Gordon be who he is. Um, him and the rest of that offensive line were just phenomenal. And you got to give shout out to those two guys, multi-year starters on the offensive line for Episcopal, uh, that Brandon Thomas, uh, Carson Gordon back, uh, backfield would not have worked without those two guys. Uh, the last, the last two Bennett Warren, there might've been not a more and physically imposing dude. Who's also so raw as, uh, Bennett Warren, you know, when we w- watched him as what a soft, uh, I saw him as a freshman. Uh, when I went and saw Remington Strickland play, and we were like, okay, that that's a guy to watch out for. And how he's developed his body and physicality every single year has shown in the offers he has, where it's not just off built of potential, but also what he's actually been able to do. And this senior year proved it every every single week, watching him dominate the line of scrimmage. Uh, very, very impressive. Shout out to him going to Tennessee. Rocky top baby. The other guy. R.J. Lee, the 2025 offensive lineman from Second Baptist, has been on the scene, has a couple of Division One looks now. Shout out to him. 6'8", maybe. I think he's now maybe 6'9". Um, physically imposing dude. Excited to go watch him next year. Um, just a man amongst boys when you're, he's out on the field. Honorable mention to Jacob Husband. Talked about him a little bit earlier, but good, good prospect uh, at the next level. Absolutely. The three guys I got are um, junior Luke Wilson and then seniors Cole Eldridge and Kristen Damore from Grace Community, uh, Fourth All Saint, Frisco Legacy, respectively. All guys that are smart, fantastic technique. And yet again, like I've said before, their teams don't win without them on the field. Um, every, it's just you watch them, and the most important thing is they don't make mistakes. They go out there. They complete the job they're supposed to do, and they don't make mistakes. All three of these guys just turn on the tape and watch. Their their respective run games and pass protections do not work without them on the field. So Luke Wilson, Cole Eldridge, and Kristen Demore, all fantastic offensive linemen from the northern realm of things. Moving on to the defensive line. Uh, going to the defensive line, Charlie Shrears from uh, Second Baptist, 6'7". And I believe he was like the uh, one of the best defensive linemen in all of Houston this year. Uh, every guy you talk to coaches wise, you're like, oh, he's a ball player. And that when you have the coaches saying that, you know, he's the real deal. I know we just decommitted from Rice. I'm excited to see where he ends up. He's a division one talent. 
Uh, Ivan Jimmy Duxworth is a guy we've been talking about for years, man. Just a ball player. Um, he makes every locker room better when he's in it. Physically stronger than anyone you'll face. Um, and just the athletic athleticism behind him as well. Great player, even a better person. Shout out to him. Underrated guy, Bode Ferguson from Antonian Prep has the size and the athleticism to compete at like 6'2", 6'3". Uh, he's a physically imposing guy, has been a guy down in Houston or down in the South for Division One, uh, who's been very, very impressive for the past couple of years. Uh, definitely a guy, if colleges need to go look at him, go take a look down there in San Antonio about him. Maximus Supley is a guy that we found out this year about after watching him against Cypress and be like, okay, that kid's a, that kid's a junior? Oh, wow. And, you know, he had the stats to pack him up, uh, back him up this year. First team all state in Division Three. Very, very impressive. And a guy I just have to shout out, J.R. Stegall. There's not a more physically imposing guy at Division Two defensive tackle spot than him uh, at his size, 6'3", 290. Uh, physically imposing, quick off of the line of scrimmage. Very, very impressive player. A couple other honorable mention guys. Tyler Sosarski at Bel Air Episcopal. Robbie Burslam at... Uh, um, uh, St. Dominic Savio, Jacob Rogers, Cypress Christian, uh, DJ Beasley, and Michael Anthony Akura as well. All righty, for my guys, I've got Jack Harwell and Nathan LaPerry from Prestonwood, and I got Darius Colquat from uh, from Fourth All Saints. Another another all time hard name that I've probably butchered a million times. Car Carquat, it's close. I probably should have. I talked to him for like ten minutes after the the uh, the quarterfinal game. I probably should have gotten a pronunciation there. That being said, uh, all three of these guys are just scary. I can't imagine seeing either Harwell, LaPerry, or or Darius coming off coming off the edge in Darius cases and then through the middle, like Jack. Um, we've talked about Harwell since I don't since. I think early last year. I mean, the dude is a freak. I mean, he, I can't imagine scheming to try and block him. Just an absolute bowling ball. The interior defensive line just goes out, mauls people. And then both, both Darius and Nathan are also scary as well. Darius, it, it, from a physical standpoint, 6'4, 210. And it's, it's, it's not fat. The dude's got a ton of muscle on him. All three of those guys are vital to their team success, get things done, hands down some of the most impressive prospects on the defensive line in the state. Moving on to linebacker. Yeah, I mean, Max Granville. I mean, there's not much to say about him. Real deal. Been offered by every school basically in the country. Go watch the film. It's, it's a lot of fun. Talked about Jacob Wilborn earlier, but another guy who's physically imposing, uh, very, very impressive athlete. Ty Blevins. If you had t 11 Ty Blevins on a, off, on a defense, you'd win games. He's just a heart and soul of that Bel Air Episcopal team. Uh, had a sensational year. Colleges need to be watching him. Uh, Tyler Day, uh, Rice commit now. Uh, I think he's a dude. He talks the talk, but he walks the walk, man. And he's phenomenal. Uh, been awesome to watch him the past couple of years. Two honorable mentions, Bryce Butler, second Baptist, run, running back turned linebacker and was sensational this year. Also, Brady Haas from Hallettsville Sacred Heart, one of the defensive player of the year last year, and is going to be a big, probably, nominee for this year again. Absolutely. Moving down, I got Hudson Lundford from Prestonwood, Blake Harmon and Dylan Taylor from Grace Community, Madden Morgan from Bel Air Episcopal, and Jacob Maynord from Trinity Valley. Uh, all of these guys, yet again, are, are scary presences. Lunsford is a guy for Prestonwood who it's kind of like a Caleb Bowers for Parrish. You have to know where he is at all times on the field, just has a knack for getting the ball. Both Blake Harmon and Dylan Taylor for Grace are two guys that I think the the linebacking core was the strength of this Grace defense, and it's due in large part to just how how 
physical both of those guys are. When I say physical, I mean they're really, really developed kids, just live in the weight room, live to knock heads. And I say that, and the next guy I'm talking about is the most physically developed guy in this list, a sophomore Madden Morgan, um, literally just a unicorn. Um, I, I forget his exact stats. I think it's something like 6'1", 210, 215, um, literally probably some like like 7% body fat, something absolutely absurd. Turn on his tape. Madden Morgan is a name that we've all gotten familiar with. We're only going to come more so over the next two years. And then Jacob Maynard, the senior, no, the junior from Trinity Valley. Yes, the junior. Yes. Uh, just a guy who we've been keyed onto for a while is has a direct impact, a direct measurable impact on every game, goes out of state champion. So all five of those guys, um, extreme contributors, to their team had a blast watching them at linebacker this year. And last, but certainly not least a position. You have to be a little bit of a psychopath to play as I know, because I played it defensive back. Yeah. Uh, a couple of guys I want to mention Lou Lamar. Uh, there's not more impressive guy that I've never seen live. And then watching him live, I went, Oh, Holy cow. This guy's insane. Is then Lou Lamar physically imposing athletic, and he's going to be a steal for Dartmouth this year. Uh, you're going to see a guy who's going to be an all conference guy. I believe at Dartmouth for the next couple of years, Braden Robinson, the 26 from Lutheran South was a guy that I I've been high on all year in the off season as well. Um, just a really, really good player was a unit or was a, Really, really uh, important piece of this Lutheran South team. It's going to be exciting to watch him for the next two years. Uh, Jordan Rogers was the guy uh, at Fort Bend where he was on my uh, fantasy team this oh, this off season. But well, he did it, and he didn't. He lived up to the hype and was a big, big piece of getting back to the uh, quarterfinals for Fort Bend. Was a really, really important piece, and excited to see where he ends up in his senior year. Go turn on the film. Very, very impressive. Uh, Braylon Thompson, the Yale guy, I mean, was one of those crucial, crucial pieces for uh, Episcopal winning the state championship this year. Um, multiple plays in that Parrish game, multiple plays in the uh, Kincaid game in the state championship. When it came down and you needed to play on defense, you looked to Braylon Thompson and he made those plays. Very, very impressive athlete. Uh, Aaron Valentine's my other guy on that list. Really, really good player. He showed it all year. And we talked about him a little bit more later. A uh, couple honorable mentions. Uh, Andrew Novi, the 26 DB, was a guy who caught my eye. I'm excited to see him. Yaha Mir at Houston St. John's, the junior, is going to be one to watch next year. Definitely. So the last three guys I got at DB are David Madison from Prestonwood, Riley Strode from Antony, and then Aiden Heck from Grace. David Madison physically is probably the most one of the most impressive corner prospects i've seen i think he's like six two six three long i need to get a wingspan on that dude turn on his tape just lives to alter passes and make offensive coordinators just have night terrors about him physically impressive very good riley strode is the only guy on this list that made mine twice because that's how good he is a defensive back as well a guy i specifically remember last year in the nolan game just he <laughs> He, he was your best receiver, and then he goes and he locks down the other team's best receiver. Did the same thing this year. Fantastic player for Antonian. And then Aiden Heck for Grace is a guy that we didn't get to talk about a whole lot this year. But whether he's, he's another two-way player, whether he's playing receiver or DB, just a, a kid, like you said, like you said earlier about another guy, that doesn't look like, like you said, Miles Ryder, that doesn't look like he should be as good as he is, but he is. Just affects plays, incredibly good 
gritty, hardworking kid. All three of these players, fantastic DB prospects and some of the best that I have seen. So that being said, that actually wraps up not only the best players we've seen this year, but also everything for the episode. It's probably going to run about two hours. We had a lot to talk about. We had some great input from all of our interns. Walker, another football season comes to a close. Our job is not finished, but in terms of the season as a whole, your thoughts and any other closing comments or concerns? Yeah, I'm exhausted. This episode has drained me. But uh, would I do it all again every single year? Absolutely. And, you know, stay tuned. We're going to do the same thing next year. We're going to get even bigger and better. You know, thank you so much to those interns, like you said earlier, Wes. Uh, I won't really repeat too much because you said it phenomenally. But the the community, you know, what we said when we started this is we wanted to build a community that we're all interactive and have a community that wants to build each other up and make private school football what we think it can be. And that's what we did this year. And we're continuing to do that every single year. It's been phenomenal uh, for all the seniors we've met. Uh, thank you for supporting us. It's been a journey. It's been an awesome journey watching all of y'all grow these past couple of years and seeing what you've done for your programs at your schools and uh, I'm excited to see if you, you know, if you go play ball at the next level where you end up. And if you ever need anything, give us a holler. Thank you to the parents, the coaches, everyone who's supported us this year. I mean, without y'all, I think Wes put it in the tweet uh, that, you know, private school football is nothing without y'all. So uh, we can't, we can't, TXPS media does not exist without the fans. So I really want to say thank you to everyone who supported us this year. It's been awesome. And um, man, we have some stuff in the works that we're excited about. Uh, you know, like we said last year, we're going to go bigger, go home. And that's exactly what we're doing. So stay tuned for that award show. Uh, you know, we've right around the corner. We're going to try to get it out as soon as possible. You have my word as soon as possible. So uh, would be nice if y'all started sending us your stats and all of that, but thank you everyone for supporting us. Uh, Wes back to you, my guy. Yeah, absolutely. You said it perfectly. I just kind of want to express gratitude and say that we can't thank all of you enough. Like, like Walker said, like I said in the tweet, the coverage of the sport doesn't happen without y'all and your support. And every year it grows exponentially and it, it really moves me to see it. And like I said, in the tweet, my my favorite part of every Friday is as much as I love covering the sport and watching football, my favorite part is getting the opportunity to talk with people in the community yeah. every Friday and every Saturday. And uh, it it really it moves me and it reminds me how much of a privilege this is whenever I get to talk with y'all and y'all express gratitude. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't say it enough. And yeah, I'll leave it on that note. So as always, for myself, for Walker Lott, for Cole Burke, Waverly West, and Caleb Corum, thank you to our fantastic interns. I have been one-fifth of your hosting crew for this episode. We will see you in the next off-season episode. See you later. Three, two, one. Here we go.